0: you're new with us online, we're thankful to have you here. My name is Chris Pate, if you're new here, and I'm the lead pastor here at City Life. And we are in a series, as many of you guys know, but in case you're new with us, we're in a series where over these next eight weeks, we're hitting different cultural topics with the series called The Gospel And We've done this a couple times uh, in our history, and we like to do this with... A message to intro, and then a panel to answer questions. Many of you brought in your questions, and we are gonna to get to a few of them. And the ones we don't get to today, we actually will be going back for our online. They will be on YouTube. You can check them out if you're interested. And I will say this isn't exactly a Q&A question and answer, as much as it's a Q&R question and response. Okay. We don't come across as the ultimate authority and speaking on behalf of all church, okay? But for what we believe in who we are, this is our response to the questions. Before we get into our panel, and the Kenneth Franklin will be leading us and emceeing along the way, I do want to give a special shout out because we have a lot of things going on in our church right now with rap sessions, pajama, rama, we've got a night of worship coming up, We, but we also want to make sure you know we have our city life groups. We have a lot of amazing things going on, and one thing I want to shout out, our young adults ministry. Now, you might be saying, who are young adults? Adults, young adults, who are twenties and thirties is what we consider young adults. If you're old like me in your 40s, I mean you can go, but you can't stay. Uh, but, uh, uh, but they have, of course, today if you're a young adult, do we have uh, Shaniqua and Tim here? Tim, are you here? I know you look the same height when you sit, but when you stand, you're, you're different than all the rest of us. Uh, so, But they will have a uh, lunch right after this at Torchy's Taco that you saw. But also, we want to encourage you, go on the app, go on our website. We have our Young Adults Retreat, our first retreat. We're so excited to be able to do it. And now to the 30th is $75. It's going to go up to $90. Make sure you sign up. You want to be a part of this. Great opportunity to build community. Get to know some other young adults. Cool, great, great. I'm gonna hand it off to the Kenny.
1: City Life Church was going on this morning. How you guys doing? No, nah, every time, like the first service shouldn't be y'all. Y'all a awake? Y'all had coffee? Some of y'all had breakfast? City Life Church, what's going on? How y'all doing? All doing right, cool, 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 cool. So obviously you guys know Lead Pastor Chris. Obviously we have Casey. Leader and and Director of City Creative. We have Earl, Director of Campus Ministry, and Cassie, Campus Minister. So uh, we have an amazing panel to help lead and facilitate this conversation so let's dive right in. Let's just get into question one. because you
0: know, we, Yeah, we gotta and, get... and let me say something because I forgot. Yeah. Uh, if you have kids in the room, this is a little PG-13. So I, I apologize. We are looking to go to second service with kids ministry soon. We're super excited about it, trying to get everything together for that. But want to apologize in advance. You might want to have some uh, earmuffs ready if you're not ready for them to have this. Or just take them out, and give them some coffee, start them young. <laughs> uh, but, but we are going to be hitting some tough topics. right?
1: <laughs> I like it. Uh, throw us question one minute so we can get right into it. All right, first question for the panel, here we go. Is kissing, touching, etc., still sinful even if it doesn't escalate into sex? In other words, how far is too far? Well,
2: I answered it first in first service, so everyone's looking at me. Um, so first of all, I want to remind you guys that these are questions you submitted last week, and this was the number one favorited question of all the questions that were submitted. So today we're going to try to go through the ones that were very highly favorited. So we just wanted to remind you of that. And again, to reiterate, when service is over, we will go from this stage to the studio and we are going to continue answering questions. So you can pull it up on your phone, on YouTube, or if you're online, we're just going to seamlessly appear from the stage to the studio. It's going to be magical. But um, just wanted to remind you guys of that as well, because we will not get to every question. We will not answer every question exactly the way that you wanted us to so a little bit of extended time will be nice but this this question, um, we have gotten so many times over the years. For frame of reference, if you're new here, uh, my husband and I, in December, will be married 22 years, and, thank you. And, and we have- And we do
0: kiss, yeah, we do kiss. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, yes.
2: Uh, and we have three children, and our oldest is, our son is 19, and we had just sent him away to college as a freshman this year. We have a 16-year-old daughter, and then we have an 11-year-old son as well. So not only have we gotten this question over the years with people walking towards marriage, uh, whether it be premarital or just dating, they want to do it well, they want to honor God. We ourselves answered this question when we were dating and looking to marriage. But we've had real-time conversations with our kids about this. So for parents in the room, we know these are challenging things to, to navigate. And so the the first thing that I would say in response to this is typically, when this question is asked, the question behind the question is how far can I possibly go to the edge of the edge of the edge of the edge of the edge before we cross a line? And so I think my first maybe response to that question is maybe a another possibly Better, more wise question to ask is where's like two to three steps before that line that I can honor God in my relationship and stay away from the edge because that's that's just a really hard thing to navigate so when we were talking to our son Addison about this he's been dating um a girl for two over two years she's wonderful so sweet we love her and they're currently in college together so we talk about these things a lot and one of the first conversations we had about dating and about boundaries physical boundaries was we we kind of introduced this idea of the law of diminishing returns right a lot of you familiar with this so we told him you know the first time that you touched Andrea's hand, oh my gosh, it's so, it's, uh, woo, oh, we, we held hands, we touched. And it's so exciting and still, honey, 22 years later, just, just now, just now, that was exciting. Um, but what happens, is the 10th time that you hold hands, that same feeling maybe diminishes a little bit because you're used to it. It's familiar. Yet there's something inside of you that has a desire to want more of that emotion, more of that feeling, more of that spark because God created us with desires in, the, in a wonderful, beautiful way. And so it is very natural when you're with someone to care, that you care about that you want and desire to keep extending and and extending boundaries, but the problem is, is the diminishing return, so holding hands is no longer enough, you know, hugging, kissing may no longer be enough, and that's when we begin to get in kind of some dangerous territory that we navigate, so I know for us, when we were dating, um, we, and we told our our kids our story, we had for us to determine, okay, (laughs) We know ourselves, um, we, the heart is deceitful, but also we've experienced physical things and we know, and we had to ourselves back up the train a little bit because we started kind of pressing some boundaries that we were not trusting ourselves anymore. And so I think that is also a great point is, um, for you to decide, you honoring God the best that you can, you treating this person as your brother and sister in Christ in the image of God themselves and their body belongs to the Lord and not you, how can we be honoring in that? And I think that is how we can determine for us personally how far is too far. I think the power of community comes in as well, and you can have these conversations. I'm proud to say that because of our great community, we had couples that we could point to for our kids and say, hey, these guys did it really well. And so they can not only be encouraged, but they can see people are out there actually doing this well people are honoring God and they don't see that in their school they don't see that anywhere else but in the church community we've been able to point them to those people and so I think it's just definitely a matter of honoring God and how you do that and then as you're navigating that question with children or with friends or with family members um, maybe the wrong question is how far is too far maybe we need to ask why are we asking that question yeah
3: I would agree with that. And I you made a really great point with like the three steps, like a head thing. And that's something that um, you learn in the School of Campus Ministry. They, t- they take you through a class about integrity. Um, and they say, you know, set the bar up here so that when mistakes happen and when you slip up a little bit, it's not uh, the full slip up of having sex, but you are leaving some leeway, right? So you have that extra like kind of comfort zone. But in addition to that, I think it you, you're you absolutely right about just the hardest to see and we're going to tr- want to push that line. So try to lean the other way and set up those boundaries to where those things just are less likely to happen. Um, but I think uh, where a lot of this, the feeling behind this question comes from is people having this perspective that self-control is something that you only exhibit before you get married and that you don't have to have self-control after you get married which is untrue and I'm sure we'll get to later. Anybody married in this room (laughs) can know the answer to that. Yeah but um, it's important to exhibit self-control not because we are trying to you know stop something from happening but because our god asks us to be self-controlled in everything that we do and it's not just this one aspect and it's not just for this part of our lives it's for all of it
1: yeah yeah, yeah.
4: I, I i think i'm gonna speak from uh we're used to be single male uh now husband uh to my beautiful wife sarah but even talking with the callers students on the campus, and a lot of men asked that question, how far is too far? You know, how far can we get to that edge? And it speaks a lot to the heart, but I remember even me growing up and being with my wife or my girlfriend at the time for seven years, that was always the looming question. How far is too far? How far can we get? And then Christ came into our life, and it was still how far can we get because we have this proclivity of wanting of of this heart towards sin or bent towards sin. And and it it didn't change until I started to ask myself, how much do I trust myself? And how much do you trust yourself? Because if you do trust yourself, most of us, uh, when it comes down to kissing and touching, are not gonna do it in public. There isn't this level of kissing and touching unless you, you know, are that couple, and uh, we know couples probably that are like that, but I'm assuming we don't have a lot of people in here that is just ready to just go in front of people, but, um, but typically you are by yourself when you're doing some of this stuff, and that's where you have to put things into context and into perspective. Like most of us don't like doing this dating thing only in public but we like to do it and spend time with one another. We like to do it alone. And then there's in that point, in that moment, where if you feel like, man, I trust myself with the whole kissing, with the whole touching, with all of that stuff like that, for it to not lead to lust, I didn't say sex, because you can sin before you actually start to act in terms of physical sex. So the question is, how much do I trust myself that kissing and touching won't lead me into this lustful mindset? Because the Bible, Jesus says, even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So it's not necessarily the action of actual sex that we have to worry about. But let's go even further than that. Man, how do I trust myself with kissing and touching in, in this particular space when I'm with my girlfriend or with one, when I'm with my boyfriend to not lead to lust? Um, and I would just ask that question. How much do you trust yourself? And if you feel like you do, you're the reason why Jesus had to come back, and we, we're the reasons why he had to actually come and die for us because there was this level of trust that we put inside of ourselves and our own will and our own ways and our own thoughts and all those things, and this is why, and so it will ultimately lead when you put too much faith and trust in your, yeah. in your
1: own will. and. Belief. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Your um, Question two. Question two, how do I defend Christianity? Christianity? To the lgbtq a community in french
0: um I'll, I'll i'll tackle this a little bit first of all um i i think the word defend is troublesome to me in the sense of being in a defensive posture constantly like there's almost like there's there's uh there's just this uh fear or trepidation, which, which I get to a level, but also I don't think we are here to defend Christianity. Uh, we can make a defense, we can make an apologetic, which I think is good. But I think sometimes when dealing with LGBTQ plus friends, um, there is an actual place of humility and not just an apologetic, which you should have, but an apology in the sense of not apologizing for what we believe, but I think there's an area of apologizing for how the church has treated this particular sin as the ultimate sin. Um, And a lot of times to the negligence of adultery, uh, divorce, gluttony, pornography, uh, all other things that that God calls sin. And I think also defining sin when it comes to, not a defense, but just talking to friends, like what does it mean to be in sin. And a lot of us just think about rules. And Jesus didn't come to give us new rules. He came to give us a new heart. Uh, he came to make us new people. A new, next week we're going to talk about race. A, he calls us a new race of people. And so the idea is I don't want to just be in defensive process, posture, but also I think we need to put this in the right order sin is like we talked about last week disordered loves and when you put your sexual identity as your main identity no matter if it's heterosexual homosexual that is not what Jesus came to die for he didn't come to make you a good heterosexual he came to win your affection and make you a child of god and that is the most important part so the question, and we're going to get to this as well, is like, what do we believe about LGBTQ and those types of things? We believe, like other sin, that it is a sin, that it's not how God designed us to live and to practice. There's a difference between an urge for that. Um, Like someone might have an urge towards alcoholism or anything, because we're all broken in this room, including myself, and in need of a Savior. But then making that one thing the ultimate bad thing, that's where the church has gone wrong, um, because we look hypocritical, because we're not tackling these other people. Or the pastors that are having an affair that we forgive and move on, because he's the man of God, while we'd say, if you're doing this, you're not allowed here. That's a problem. And it's a problem because how Jesus... Didn't defend the faith, but loved people full of grace and truth. The woman caught in adultery, he didn't say, girl, get away from me. You're making me look bad. He didn't say, you're not allowed here. What did he say? He said, where are your accusers? I don't accuse you either. But then he didn't enter into her lifestyle or condone her lifestyle. He then went in and said, don't sin anymore. And this is Jesus' response. Love grace, I'm here, but also the goal is to be changed. And if you think I'm okay the way I am, like that is missing out on a savior that we all ultimately need. And so um, the defense of it, I would say, I don't know that we need to be as defensive as much as understanding we need to listen well. We need to have conversations, which is what we like to have. And I think as we point people towards the gospel and the beauty of Jesus, we start getting lost in the trees and miss the forest. And we see the goodness of God, and things start to change in our life in all aspects of Yeah, sin. That's good.
4: Pearl? Yeah. Because um, the whole defend thing sounds like we, at times, especially being on the college campus and seeing. This, the LGBTQ community um, go through just so much, man. And the thing about this, the community, and the thing about what we're seeing with this generation and on campus anyways, is, is that they live in this particular culture of having to defend, yeah. especially when people who call themselves believers, talk with them, it's almost like asking this particular question, how do I defend Christianity? What they're seeing is, how do I have bullets in the chamber to shoot back at them in order for them to be able, to, in order for me to prove my point that they are in some specific special sin or, or, or something like that? And um, I know in, in a lot of our experience, they're uh, even give an example of a, of a man um, who loved, 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 loved. And my heart has changed in this particular area of seeing people, the LGBTQ community through the eyes of God and seeing them with the heart of God. And the issue is that they don't feel or they don't see the heart of God being displayed in a lot of people that they are going out who claim to be followers of Jesus. And it's because we have a lot of religion and not a lot of people that actually have or know the heart of God because you got to get in your word and you have to have this experiential thing with him as well too. And it is their responsibility, I'm talking about people in this particular community, to just feel the heart of God. But a lot of times and what their experience is that there has been this expectation put on them for them to see God or to see this particular issue or this this lifestyle through the heart of God or through the heart of people who are walking in Christianity when they are lost lost people are supposed to be where they are. They're supposed to be lost. It takes people who have the heart of God to be able to go in and present the heart of God to them because they have themselves experienced this. And this is one of the things that we see because this particular man, I walked with him. I talked with him. We did one-to-one. We had frequent meetings where he struggled with this particular issue or this sin. And I would watch this man, and and I'll get phone calls at certain times and He'll be crying on the other end. And I'm like, man, what's going on? Are you okay? Just come pick me up. I go pick him up. And he literally had a one night stand with another young male. And he gets in the car and he's just ready for me to have bullets in the chamber to just shoot at him. But as he sat there and wept on my shoulder crying out, why am I like this? Why am I like this? I don't want to be like this because I'm in the church and I know what God says about this whole thing. I know that he says homosexuality is a sin and stuff like that, but why am I like this? I can't help but, but go through what it is I'm going through. And he's so shocked because even though This black man is picking him up and knows about the word and does not necessarily struggle in this particular area of sin. But I know all of his mess and all of his junk and all of his things that he's going through as I'm picking him up, he's taken back and he's shocked a little bit because he's seeing the heart of God being displayed as I let him lay his head on my shoulder. As I'm like, you know what, I understand. I don't understand in some ways but God understands and God sees you and he loves you. And though I think there is something when, when Pastor Chris just said, they they hear a lot of people with the whole defense thing try to shove truth, truth, truth without the grace and without the love and without the... And so it's, it's both and. It's that grace and truth ultimately leads to that love of God in that particular person's life. And so how do I not... It's not necessarily what Pastor Chris said how do I defend Christianity? It's how do I know more of God's heart so that I can be able to display that heart to the people that really need to feel the heart of God for their life.
1: Yeah, I think that's amazing. Absolutely. Question three. All right, here we go. Is masturbation a sin? What's the best way to avoid masturbation when you've been struggling with it for a long time?
0: Okay, we gotta hit the first one first. Is masturbation a sin? Uh, When we look in Scripture, it's pretty silent about it. Um, There's not a Scripture that says, Thus saith the Lord God Jehovah Jireh, thou shalt not do this. Um, uh, And yet, there are implicit truths and explicit truths within the the Scripture. Um, For instance, as we mentioned earlier, Jesus uh, actually, because he's not trying to get to a rule, he's not trying to get you to a target, because we all miss the target. That's what sin is. But ultimately he's trying to get to the root. So he doesn't go, let's, let's talk about masturbation. Let's just talk about adultery. Although he hits adultery, he actually goes deeper. And he says, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you, you sin in your, you've committed adultery in your heart. Cause he's going, I'm trying to change your heart. He's not just trying to make it harder, but he's coming in to say, I'm here to do a deeper work. Because that's what I want. I don't want just a bunch of rule followers. Because then you have this expectation, God, I did it, so where's my blessing? And it's transactional. Versus recognizing that yeah, you did it, Why won't he do it? Um, and that's what the gospel is and says. And so there's, it's not explicit in making this a sin, but it's implicit even in the potential idea of lust specifically. And lust and pornography, that was a question we're not getting to. Some, uh, someone even asked, why is pornography bad? Because I know it's so normalized in our culture. But the idea of pornography is you are objectifying someone else for your own good ultimately. And it leads from mind in mind into roots of other things that come out of fruits manifestation in your life. in how you perceive women or men if you're a woman lusting after a man. So we don't want to continue to perpetuate that I will say this though I-, I do believe because it is not explicitly wrong there are times where masturbation has an incubation period of, of, of it's not wrong in and of itself and I would say it specifically in the context of marriage. And like we used to serve uh, at a church in Abilene, Texas, Air Force, uh, Dias Air Force Base. And you would have people, you know, in their marriage gone six months, PCS, and six months, you need to have a mutual agreement with your spouse about what that looks like. But then again, it's a slippery slope because what are you thinking about? Where's your mentality? And so Paul says it this way, I'm not bound by the law anymore, but I do not. Not everything is going to be beneficial. And, And he says this, I don't want anything to bind me and have control over me. And there's a lot of things in our life that we can rationalize, but then we end up addicted. We end up from rationalization to idolization very, very quickly. And so we have to be cognizant and that's where we need community, uh, family, other people that we can be accountable to. And accountability isn't confession, I messed up. Accountability is I'm struggling, I'm calling you right now. That's different. So Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I think
4: when I think about, you know, is masturbation a sin, and we get a lot of this when we talk to a certain, you know, young men on the college campus because, man, they, you know, they're going through it right now, but uh, it's the same thing, you know, why weed doesn't say nothing, God doesn't say nothing about weed in the Bible, God doesn't say nothing about, you know, masturbation and stuff like that in the Bible. Personally, me, I, I find it very difficult because of the culture that we're in and because of the nation that we're in, where 90 plus percent of men have watched pornography at one point in time in their life or continue to watch pornography. And it is increasing for women at the same time as well. And so even when you're talking about masturbation, it's hard for me because it's one of those things where it's not necessarily like a medicine that is prescribed to you to help you relieve yourself of something like that. It's hard for me to believe that you can actually get to the point of masturbation without having this lustful thought process or the images that you've seen in the past or the images that you continue to see because you need those things to arouse yourself to get to even the point of masturbation. So even though masturbation in itself, the actual action of doing it can you truly say that you are completely a clean slate in your mind, and your heart, while you're actually doing the action? It's really hard for me to believe that that is actually a possibility or that is actually true. And so it goes again, it speaks to the heart of a lot of other things, but when you're talking about avoiding with, with uh, masturbation when you've been struggling it for a long time, we have to understand that struggling and wrestling is completely different from just doing it habitually. And so there's a difference between struggling, because you're in the fight, and there's this thing inside of you that is convicted on a consistent basis, and you don't want to do this. Like what Paul says, I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things that I know I'm supposed to do, I, I don't do, and all of these things. But there's a difference between actual habitual kind of, uh, uh, of actions with this particular thing, and I, liked, I think it speaks to a lot of environment. And I read this book called *Atomic Habits*, and the and and the guy talks about how to. Uh, your habits are in large part due, uh, a product of your environment. And so it's like at home, when I sit on my couch and when I'm in front of my TV, that couch, foundationally, without me even recognizing it or knowing it, that particular place is where I'm most likely going to watch entertainment because I play my video games, I watch movies, I watch the Eagles beat up on the Cowboys all the time. I mean, I do, I, I do the entertainment thing there, right? And so... If I want to do my schoolwork, or if I actually want to read the Word of God, I sit down and I say to myself, you know what, I'm going to achieve this goal in reading the Word of God, and I do it in that particular environment for some reason the chances of me accomplishing the goal of getting deep down into the Word of God is very slim because that designation, that environment, that place is set up for me to do what it was supposed to do, which was the whole entertainment thing. However, whenever I go to my room where there is no TV, where there is none of that stuff, where there, like, that particular place is where it's an environment for me to actually be able to achieve a lot of those things. And so I think becoming aware of the environment that you are surrounded by, becoming aware of what it is that you're putting into your soul, what it is that you're putting into your spirit. You might need to delete TikTok. You might need to delete Instagram for a little bit for you to actually gain this level of awareness, because we know that you don't even have to follow a particular page to have images really forced upon your face. And so those things help you lead to the actual action of masturbation. But again, it's the images and things like that. It's those triggers that help you. So understanding, you know what, in my environment, nobody is out here, just like what we talked about in terms of kissing and touching and stuff like that they don't do that in public you don't masturbate in public I hope you don't masturbate in public because you go to jail when you do that Uh -uh. (laughs) but (laughs) you know what I'm saying you go to jail when you do that but you typically do this in the comfort of your own home you typically do this in the darkness so understanding where you are even in terms of your environment in your home Understanding, man, whenever I do this particular thing, it's always in this particular area, or it's always at this time of night, or it's always at this time of day. Becoming aware of those things and inviting community and inviting people that are going to help you build a better better and more beneficial environment, I think helps you go on the journey of fighting well against this particular thing.
3: I'll add on as well, I think at the heart of masturbation, a lot of the reason behind people, why people do it is just a desire for intimacy. And the desire for intimacy in and of itself is a really good thing. It's a gift that God has given us. And it has just been twisted and perverted into sin, into lust. And I, I just wanted to make sure like we're affirming like that desire is a good thing. And in terms of how to avoid masturbation, if you've been struggling with it for a long time, that could look like finding different avenues of exploring intimacy and just in different ways. So, via friendships, through accountability, just putting that same thing that's already, you know, it's already there, but just directing it somewhere else.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's good. Let's move as we're trying to get to the rest of these questions here. This is good, number four. Is it theologically defendable to be LGBTQIA affirming, not just welcoming or tolerant? And where does our church stand? I think we covered some of that. Is God's directive to be fruitful and multiply in, ex- in explicit admonition against the LGBTQ lifestyle?
0: Yeah, this one's tough because when you use the word affirming, uh, we need to make sure we have the same definition. People have different definitions. Even when you use the word love, right? Because people think, well, you're not loving that person if you don't affirm them. Um, But I would say uh, when I played football in high school, um, my coach didn't feel very loving when he made me do things I didn't want to do and disciplined me to run. But I would actually call him a bad coach if we weren't conditioned well and out on the game get destroyed. And so we have to define some of these terms, um, love, because love has truth in it. Paul actually says, love rejoices when the truth reigns. And so uh, I I would say this, if the word affirm means, which what it means in our culture means we condone, um, and, and say, yes, this is not sin. You can do this act and God loves you. You can receive the blessing of God and all that kind of stuff. I would say, no, we don't believe that. Um, but I would also say this. I don't affirm a lot of the things I believe because we have this thing called the flesh. My body wants this, uh, you know, my mind's telling me no, but my body, R. Kelly. My body keeps telling me yes, Uh, and we know what happened with R. Kelly. So um, for us, for us, the idea of affirming doesn't mean love. We believe we can accept you and welcome you um, without condoning everything that you do. And in fact, because we're all broken, we're all coming to Jesus that way perpetually. As God reveals things, he doesn't do it to harm us. He does it to say, I've got more life and better for you, and I, like a good coach or fo- good father, want to reveal that for you to deal with so that you can be the child of God you're called to be. So we as a church, we accept. Well, I like to say, we accept everyone for how they are, where they are, but we also expect you to grow. And last week when we talked about mental health, it's the same idea. We don't just say, hey, we affirm your mental health, which means you're fine where you are. You know, if you're honest, you're going, I don't want to stay in this place of anxiety or depression or whatever. So we we say, yeah, let's move. Let's progress, whether it's through medicine, whether it's through community, whether it's through faith. And really, honestly, it's all of them because there's no silver bullet. And so we, we want to, we want to affirm progress moving forward because our job isn't just to get God to say, I, you're great where you are. Our job scripture says is to become more and more like Jesus. That's where we're called to be. And we all have different stages and levels. So the second question, uh, where does our church stand, uh, uh, stand, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not the second question. Go back, go back. I can't, Third question, the second part of that fourth question, the second part of that question, there you go. Okay, sorry. There uh, we go. There we Is God's directive to be fruitful and multiply an explicit admonition against the LGBTQ lifestyle? I would say that's more the effect of the explicit command of a man and a woman. The first idea of unity and diversity, of having two different people um, that God requires to come together and that beautiful uh, friction that comes with a different person that is different like you that actually makes you more like Christ is the actual explicit call and then the effect would be multiplying and uh, being fruitful ultimately. So anybody else?
2: Yeah. I can say we, we can affirm that you are a child in the image of God. We affirm you as a child of God and a person, and we can love you. And so we, we can affirm in that sense, because we can recognize and see the dignity in you as a person and honor you and love you as a person. So if we, if we affirm anything as believers in, in, in our church, that's we are affirming them as someone made an image of God and putting them on a, just the same level as all of us and not looking at them differently because of this one thing about their, their life.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So affirming the image of God and not the lifestyle. Like, yeah, I think that's good. Uh, question five. Here we go. Though society is normalizing it and making it difficult to have an opinion on the topic, how must people of the church handle the topic of transgenderism?
4: All right. Um, Again, it's kind of the same idea in terms of the whole LGBTQ community as a whole. I think I'm really a big proponent about knowing the heart of God for them. I was watching this a documentary called What is a Woman? Everybody was talking about, man, watch this. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. And you could typically you watch that and recognize that it is very one-sided when it comes down to politics and stuff like that. But I remember the Holy Spirit showing me and saying to me, "Or I want you to actually listen to what the people who cannot define what a woman is, what they're actually saying. And what they're actually saying is, who am I? What is the heart of God for my life? And the reason why they're asking that question is because they don't know because it is only found in the heart of Jesus Christ. It's only found in the heart of God. And again, that goes back to the reason why And God has placed a responsibility because it is his job for him to reveal that heart to his people. And we know that he did that, read the Bible. He did that through sending his son and dying on a cross for our sins, all those things. But also you having a personal encounter through the Holy Spirit with God so that he can share with you his heart for you, his heart for your particular sin, his heart for all of those things. It is our responsibility and it is our job to know his heart and to be able to communicate that heart well to the people. Yeah. It is the people who are considered or who consider themselves transgender, it is their job and their job alone to have an encounter with the heart of God and to feel his heart from the people that are supposed to go out there and communicate this. And so it makes you understand because of the lack of knowing God's heart for them, there brings forth this level of fruit because if they don't know the heart of God, the world will teach them their life, their identity, the purpose, what all of that stuff is supposed to be. And the fruit of that is a bunch of confusion. The fruit of that is a bunch of not being secure in who God created them to be. And so we're trying to affirm people, right? in the image that God created them And it's hard for them to recognize that because they don't know the heart of God. Because again, they're hearing a bunch of people, evangelicals or whatever you want to call it. And I'm telling you the truth because we see this on the campus every single day. They are ready to battle people and they are ready for them to be handled in a certain way by Christians. They're waiting to be handled in a certain way by the church. They automatically know what the church is going to say to them. They automatically know what the church's heart and how the way they view them. Because of their personal experiences, and so it's one of those things. Is again, it's it's not. It's not. Uh, if you're looking for some new found information about this, you're going to be very disappointed because God continues to say, "You can do all of these things, but if you have not love, you don't have anything." And so God is always interested in us presenting grace, presenting truth at the same time as we reveal or as we communicate his heart by us first knowing those things and actually helping them because their heart or their identity can't be in their feelings. And their heart and identity can't be in the way that they feel because I feel all type of stuff. All the time, I feel things every single day, and if I ride the wave of my feelings, I will ultimately lead, it will ultimately lead to confusion and frustration and all of those things like that. And so, again, I really am huge in terms of understanding, and I believe, like what Pastor Chris was saying earlier, there is a level of apology and humility that does need to come from Big C Church. Not necessarily this church, but the church as a whole that says, you know what? Whenever we talk to transgender people on the campus, which we see men in high heels and stuff like that, they're going through the whole process. And when they encounter us, they're automatically waiting for a response or to be handled a certain way. But it's like, no, man. In fact, not only does God love you, but I can sit here and say because I've touched the heart of God that I love you as well. And that's the graceful part. And the truth is going to be the truth, that this level of freedom that you are idolizing, because that's behind, me and Pastor Chris were talking about this earlier, but the whole thought process behind the whole transgender community and all that stuff like that is this battle and this fight to be free. I want freedom, and if anything comes against that particular freedom, I'm going to react in a certain way. And so I want the freedom to be able to be who I want to feel like, to dress the way that I want to dress. It's this idolization of freedom, and then not realizing that that freedom within itself, because it's not found in Christ, have turned around and enslaved them. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that we have to, I think, kind of keep in mind is presenting the truth at the same time where, no, there is a level freedom that you have yet to encounter. There is a level of freedom that your feelings will never be able to offer you. But through him and through Jesus Christ, I promise you, not only will you feel the freedom to be who you really are, but you'll also experience the freedom to, to love other people well, to love and understand where everybody else is. And uh, I like to use this particular analogy, like the reason why we take this approach in terms of the whole truth aspect is because I tell people all the time, whenever I, I imagine if I walk across the corner, around the corner and there was a gang of people with guns and they were sitting there ready to shoot. And they tell me, you know what, we're going to let you go, but we're going to blast the next person that comes over here. And I leave, and at that moment, I happen to be walking past someone. I would have to either hate them or not really care much about them, a lack of love for them, for me to not be able to say, hey, don't go that way. There is danger across that corner. And so I think we've turned that and the way that we present that truth actually matters, again, going back to the whole lack of grace in yeah. the community that need, we honestly need to probably.
1: Yeah, I think, I think really quick, uh, just, to, just to share something about this as well, I think, you, I think you said some key points. I think when you talk about the transgender community and how the church, how people of the church should handle it, um, I think we should encourage individuals uh, toward the fact that we are made in the image of God um, and being being made in the image of God means that God has set the identity for us, right? So we are pointing people to the fact that, regardless of of what you may feel and your feelings are valued, they make terrible gods, right? And so what you hear to, what you hear normally in the transgender community is this idea that, man, you know, I was born, you know, a, a, a man, but I, you know, what I feel, I feel like that I should have been a woman. I feel this way, and I can't shake this feeling, or vice versa. Yeah. And those feelings are legitimate, but we believe. Uh, that, be, that since Adam and Eve sin, that, that everything has become misaligned, that we've been broken yeah. in our understanding, in our feelings, in our identity. It's been, it's been marred, right? So we don't longer even have the same faculties that we once did. Yeah. And so even if you feel like you were born a particular way, we are the, ch- the church and the way that we should handle this is the idea of letting people know, despite that, the Bible, the Bible and, and, even, and even the gospel that we preach says that we should be born again that every man has that play yeah. to be born again, no matter how you've been, how you feel, yeah. whether you're uncomfortable in your skin or feel like it's a, it was a mistake, you need to be born again. All right. And she giving people that message.
0: I think That's it's interesting, that. too. Um, we've seen the rise in this. I mean, I talk to my daughter, you know, every day. And she's talking to, uh, you know, one of her friends who's changed her name and changed it. And, and it's almost becoming such a social norm that if you don't go through it, you're weird or you don't have these kind of identity crisis. You're not really facing reality. And, but it's interesting from a philosophical point of view that we've been doing an experiment. For the past 30 years, with social media and the internet and the proclivity towards all that. And there's great things in it, right? There's awesome things in it. Praise the Lord for it. But also, what it's done is it's created where you can go online and apart from your body or your biology, you could become someone else online and appear to be someone else, even with pictures or an avatar, create exactly what I'm supposed to be. But what it's done and the danger of that is it separated the body from the mind and the spirit and COVID that even more because we're all just online and we can't even get next to each other. So it's almost like body bad, mind good. So you could be whatever you want. And I think when we come and talk about the gospel of Christianity, this philosophy, this ideology, what Christianity says is that, no, you're a whole person. And your body matters. Your body is a part of your mind. And we don't want to disintegrate that self because it disintegrates the rest of your life. But we want that to be integrated. And that's what Jesus came to fix. Integrate all of that. My beliefs with my body, with my mind, ultimately becoming like Christ. And so I think it's a good thing to talk about it in the sense of like, why is this such a norm? Why is this happening? And it's because of that Again, not throwing out the baby with the bathwater, all social media is bad, but we have to recognize this is what's happening because it helps us then get it on the same plane to say, no, this is a beautiful thing. And one of the books uh, called Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy, 100% recommend it because she talks about personhood theory. She talks about some of these types of things, but she brings the gospel rhetoric and how much more beautiful the gospel positions all of you than any other philosophy or religion out there. So it's a beautiful picture.
1: Yeah, 100%. All right, we literally have one more question. One person has to tackle this, let's get to it. Why is having a ring ceremony in government papers the key to having sex with a partner? The key. The
2: key. The key.
1: That unlocks the door.
2: I answered it for service, so I will take a stab at it. I I think, again, I think this is an example of a question behind a question. And I I do think there's a conversation about government and like the actual things that you you do that maybe we can talk about in the extended panel. But I think uh, uh, the heart behind maybe uh, these kinds of questions is why do you believe that you have to be married to have sex? and i think that is one of like the big questions that we're answering as believers in our society and i I just think that we are a product of an over-sexualized, over, over, over over-sexualized culture. You cannot turn on the TV, you cannot pick up your phone, you cannot pick up a book on a newsstand, you can't watch a commercial without being bombarded with a sexual culture and an over-sexualized culture. And I think what our culture has told us that maybe we've let some of these things into the church that we've listened to is this idea of I cannot live without sex. I can't physically do this. I'm created a a physical body with needs and therefore I can't live without this. And that is very problematic for many reasons. First of all, we have to look at the single person and they go, well, if this is God's great and good gift, then how is that need going to be met for me if I never get married? And I think the same question is answered again with our secular culture that has said, this is your primary thing. This is the ultimate thing. Our, our, culture has made sex god it really has we've there's an idol of that in our culture that plays out in many different ways and again the the it this all points to this is the ultimate thing that i am after and we would say sex is not the ultimate thing i think even for believers and christians that that get married and, and they did it right, they waited, and it's like my my goal of getting married is so I can have sex and I can have it whenever I want, all the time, 24 seven, I made it this far, I deserve this. And anybody in this room that's married will pro- is probably laughing maybe outwardly or inwardly because you know that's not actually true. You are not actually 24 seven whenever you want all the time. And so there is this idea that even in marriage that this is the ultimate goal of marriage. This is the ultimate thing. And I just, I want to tell you that it's not. And I think that we have uh, at at some level believed a lie in our culture that has said this is the ultimate thing that you can go after. And I'm going to tell you that Jesus is the ultimate great good above sex above all the things that are surrounding that. If something, God forbid, something happened in our marriage that physically made us unable to perform the physical act of sex, I can be happily married for the rest of my life and have an intimate, wonderful, sweet marriage with this man without sex. Now, we believe healthy marriages under God, that are people that are married should be having sex. I feel like I need to say that, but... Can I live without sex? Yes. Can I live without Jesus? I can't. I cannot live without the presence of God in my life every day. And he is the ultimate best good, and we are battling that every day because since the very beginning, we have defined God has said, this is good. I am the ultimate good. I've decided what is good if you will trust me. And from the very beginning in the garden, the first decision they made was, God, I don't think your ultimate good is actually what's best for me. And we've done that every day of our life ever since. We're continually saying, I think this is the best good for me. And so we actually don't really believe that Jesus is the ultimate best Good, but we, on this stage, will all tell you that he is. And so I think we need to redefine our expectations of what sex looks like in a marriage, and also as the ultimate only goal that we're after and seeking, because that can just be really dangerous, even for believers that believe it's a good thing within marriage. But we are a product of an oversexualized culture and an isolated culture. And that is a very, very, very dangerous combination.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, uh, first of all, thank everybody on the panel, man. This has been great. <laughs> uh. So we do have a few, we do have a few book resources for you guys um, that we wanna, you know, obviously these, these book resources will also be online. So Love, that Bo- Love Thy Body by Niercy Piercy, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer, Every Young Man's Battle by Stephen Aldeburn, um, as well as Gay Girl, Good God by Jackie Hill Perry. Definitely recommend that. Uh, the Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller and The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Ray Gregory. R- so um, absolutely want you guys to check out those resources um, to you know, connect with us on, on that level if you're looking for additional things.